uh, intro and then we'll we'll get started, okay? Sure. All right. Hi everybody, I'm Wendy Murdoch and I've been doing a series of webinars to educate horse people into the ideas that I think about all the time. Um, I've been a research scientist for a long time. It's sort of at a past life. And so I always run things through my filter of being a scientist. I have collected a, a variety of friends and, and peers that I think have incredible information. And so through these webinars, I'm able to bring them to you and to the larger audience. So thank you so much for joining us. Please remember that all of the videos and webinars are available on my YouTube channel, Surefoot Equine. And if you uh, join my mailing list at murdochmethod.com, every week I post the links for all the webinars at once so that you can sign up and you have them all in one place. Um, tonight, my guest is Cheryl Gibson of Equibo Canada. Um, Cheryl and I were email communicating for quite a while, but we hadn't met until a year ago, right, Cheryl? So is it only been a year? In August. August. And um, Cheryl well, had- August. Yeah. yeah, not even a year. Cheryl had me come up to her place in Canada and do a Surefoot Equine Practitioners workshop for her Equibo practitioners. It was one of my most delightful workshops because um, everybody was so observant and well-educated and could see all kinds of lovely, subtle nuances. So I was very impressed with everybody. And then I stayed on for the ISES meeting that was in Guelph, which was right around the corner from Cheryl. Um, and so some of the people from the workshop were at the ISES meeting and it was great. We just got to continue the, the conversation for a little while longer. So tonight Cheryl's gonna talk about um, laminitis, but I, we have a little video intro, right Cheryl? Yes, a little video of, very short, about Equibo. Okay, so I'm going to do that. Well, actually, before I play that, Cheryl, why don't you just give us a little bit of your background, just a brief bio. <laughs> I know it's long. I really want to let me loose and just be, you know, people okay. know better than that, Wendy. Yeah, um, I know. <laughs> I, <laughs> people say, what do you do? And I just kind of go, oh, well. And then I finally decided I'm a catalyst and a facilitator. And that covers everything. <laughs> and I, really, and I've been a researcher all my life. And I think I get that from my father, who had to know. And I'm like that too. I have to know. And um, that's what started everything. I'm from a long line of horsemen. And um, everything, you know, years ago, there was nobody. 45 years ago, I had nobody to share anything with. Linda Tellington-Jones has started some stuff. I discovered Feldenkrais and kind of discovered her a little bit. I thought, oh, good, don't have to reinvent that wheel. And then went on to other things. But there was nobody to talk to or share with except the horses. So that's where my research came from. So I developed cranial sacral uh, work with horses before I ever knew the term. Then I learned later, like 10 years later, somebody said, well, this guy's doing that with people, autistic children. And I went, what? So I've learned along the way, but it's always been initiated by the horses for the horses. And I've developed the protocols that way long before I could talk to anybody. So then, of course, you learn something and you're so excited and you want to tell everybody. Nobody cares. So you go, fine. So you go on about your way and then maybe you try to share it and then you try to push it a little bit, you know, like you really need to know this, you know. So now everybody's jumped on bandwagons and they're all excited. So it's wonderful to have people when, when you see you with a product that you really worked hard to get out there, but you can't do all that research yourself. 
but once the product's out there, everybody can join in and it's just fantastic. Yeah. And so you've been in the horse business for <laughs> your entire life, right? Yeah. And you bred Arabs, if I'm right? Pardon me? You, you bred Arabians? No, uh, my father bred Morgans. Morgans, okay. Yeah, and so, then we had Morgans for a number of years, and now we have Andalusians and New Forest Ponies. So, so basically, you've been up there in Canada in a research setting that's basically you and your horses, and you discovered along the yeah. way that there were other people doing similar ideas. But of course, I've been to where you live in Canada. It's kind of remote, so it's not like you can just go to the neighbor and have a chat. And back then it wasn't like you could just do a Zoom meeting and like get to talk to a whole bunch of people. So really um, you've been kind of, in a way actually, that's kind of a blessing because without that outside influence, you really had to learn to listen to the horses. I didn't get the last part. You really had to learn to listen to the horses because there weren't any people to yeah. talk to. And the trickiest part, um, we started Equibo, I don't know, 16, 17 years ago, as a vehicle to actually teach a repeatable, trainable program that then would be a career for somebody. To get me as an intuitive healer to be able to have the vocabulary to get things across was a real struggle. Yeah. And um, I do find that what happens with um, our program is that people come from a point of view perhaps where they're not used to really working with the horse. They're listening to everybody's opinion. They aren't standing in their own authority. They aren't taking charge of themselves. And they're the only person who can be themselves. Like this, these, these people are all unique and they need to stand in their authority of knowing that they're unique, but to get them there, it's quite tricky. And we've watched through the Equibo program as it goes through the year. We stand back and we go, oh, look at that. If somebody had said, develop a program to teach intuition, I would have thought, I can't do that. But that's what happens. And the horses then can be the teacher and the students can really listen. So it's really exciting. That's, you know, that reminds me a lot of my Feldenkrais training because Feldenkrais didn't want people to be dependent upon him. He wanted them no. to realize their, their own potential. And that was his goal, to achieve your potential, each individual's potential, and not mirror or, or what he would talk about, monkeying someone else, not just copying someone right. else, but really achieving your potential. And it sounds like the Equibo program is the vehicle that you've been able to utilize sort of the structure to help people come to that potential of their own being and what trust themselves and what they're doing, what their hands feel, what their eyes see and um, question, but also verify, right? I, that's a lawyer of mine a long time ago said, he said, trust, but verify. And exactly. that's, you know, so much of what this is, is trusting your own hands, your own eyes, your own ears, your own feet, and then verifying that, maybe conferring with somebody else until you start to see the recognizable patterns like what you talk about. And um, it's really cool, that's awesome. And I do say to people, you shouldn't believe me anymore than the last guy. Absolutely not, unless I can prove it to you and you understand it and then you take that and it's a good stepping stone for people that are maybe not confident, but then they become confident quite quickly. And it's just 
that is so exciting to watch them change and come into themselves. It's just really exciting. You know, I think that's one of the things that uh, we had in so much in common is that like uh, with Surefoot, A, it's something that, you know, people used to think that I was really great. I mean, more than just, <laughs> Um, and then I was selling snake oil and all this sort of stuff. And then it was just like not listening to anybody, but sticking to what the horses were telling. Yeah. But also the, getting people working with surefoot pads to trust themselves and their horse. Because I get people go, well, what should I do? Well, you start here. You start with putting a pad under a foot if the horse will let you. And there's times when you don't, but the average horse will. And then you and the horse go from there and figure out the pattern. Like people want me to give them a, a rigid protocol, I know. but really the horse determines that protocol. And the more we can learn to trust ourselves and listen to what they're showing us, like kicking the pad to the back foot or stepping off or stepping back on or going for a walk, then we start to realize that and they have um, some agency as Sharon Wilsey calls it and some autonomy to have a voice and, and then yeah. we have a dialogue. And then, then we both achieve right. potential. So both of the programs are bridges for people to start to listen to the horse. Yes. Because they're not used to dialoguing with the horse. And they then don't trust what they're getting. It's a process. Yeah. But both uh, processes can help the same way. Like, when I see a compatible program, it doesn't matter what it is, many roads to the same thing. But I want to see um, empowerment of the person using it. I want to see it uh, really coming from the horses and uh, that it needs to be not the idea, I'm going to go in there and fix this. It's mm -hmm. going to be supportive. So we're supporting a horse's healing because it knows how to do it. It might just need a little support for a minute. Like it might need a little help with the surefoot or it might need a little help with some equibomos just to kind of get that self-healing able to start again and then stand back. You know, it's kind of like rolling a ball down a hill. You might need a little help to get going. Well, don't kick it. If you don't need to, just let it go down the hill, you know. Just a little input to get it started. That's a, a lot of the concept behind homeopathy is to just the system to heal itself, not shove the system, but just, you know, like I think of like, ding, you know, just a little ping in the nervous system and the whole body responds and goes, oh, oh, I got it. I know what to do here. Um, just We've got the most fabulous tool ever in the nervous system. And yet we don't trust that we just think of Feldenkrais. Think of one little second of something and it has huge ramifications people don't trust that they don't it's true we, we've been taught that you know no pain no gain and you have to work harder and it's got to be laborious and it's got to be you know like really intense and um but so on this really subtle level that we're talking about with the nervous system and uh with surefoot and with fascia and of course now this whole conversation about fascia and that it's pre-nervous system and has an intelligence. Yeah. We're starting to see that the more and more subtle we can be, uh, in many ways, the more powerful it is. I think that's always true. Some of the most difficult people we work with, and I shouldn't make a cross the board thing, but often it's very difficult to help a massage therapist develop a different feel for the equipoise because it's so subtle. 
I mean, you start to connect with the horse in the horse's field of awareness. It might be five feet away. Mm -hmm. And an observant practitioner will start to move toward the horse and the horse is going, wait, you wait. If it's not totally on the horse's say so, if it's not totally listening and, and what would you say? Honoring. I think it's, there's a level of the horse giving permission for us to come in and, and ask some questions. That they, you know, because we are, we're asking questions of their body and their yeah. nervous system in a way that is nonverbal, um, has obvious profound meaning. Uh, but at the same time, they like, I see some horses and they paw at the pad, they stand on and they step off and they paw at it. And to me, that's a horse that has experienced something, but they don't know what to do with the experience. Right. right. So just like a person who wants to do body work and they know what they want to do and they kind of know what they would like to accomplish, but they don't have any, any uh, protocol at all. How do I start? So that's something you do with that, with um, the surefoot pads as well. You do give them guidelines to start. We give them guidelines with Aquabo and some are very precise and we tell them why and so on. But then I kind of, I really soon <laughs> wants to step back and just go, okay, where would you just put your fingers, you know? And, but if we don't want to take no for an answer, we always seem to have an agenda too. So the day that the horse has, the practitioner does two moves on a horse's back, and the horse leaves and goes across the arena and stays there for 45 minutes. That's the day that you really understand, are you really listening to this horse? Because they will call your butt. Oh, yeah. And I'm you know, yeah. I, I work with lots and lots of horses, but the one thing I find is it's way easier for me to work on someone else's horse. Absolutely. And not my own. And it's Absolutely. much harder to work with my own. I, you know, we have a history. I might have an agenda that day because I've got to get back to do a webinar. I, you know, yeah. and I might be in an emotional place. And that sort of in additional bond that we have with our own animals, I think sometimes that's actually the hardest is to work with our own. Yeah, I think so, too. Mine, mine will yell and want something. Yeah. But then uh, I have to figure out what it is. And and you'll see the little slides there with Faison. I mean, my team consists of lots of different people, one of which would be a practitioner who would come to work on Faison, as you say, because it's much harder for me to do that. Yep. Um, we, have, we have a question here, and then what we're gonna do is get into the video and the slideshow that you've created for us. Um, and the question, Cheryl, is uh, this person is a cranial sacral practitioner and was taught to work with cranium and sacrum, but the horses are teaching me the system is throughout the entire body. Your <laughs> I didn't get all of that. She's a craniosacral therapist. And she was taught to work with the, with the cranium and the sacrum. But the horses are teaching her that the system is throughout the entire yep. body. Yay! <laughs> good for her. I keep telling my students the day that I walk up to a horse and I put one finger on it and that's it, I'll be happy. And actually, I have done that very thing. I had two thoroughbreds in a row that had flipped upside down at the starting gate and smashed themselves. And the one horse, I mean, you can't, it couldn't touch him anywhere. So I could put 
one finger on the side of her neck. And I was there for an hour because I could feel the fascia unwinding all through that body. The owners must have thought I was insane. But the next time I came back, I could do whatever I wanted to with her. But right. that was the only place I could touch her. You know, it's really interesting because... So there are many horses that are... Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, uh, there's many horses that are so... Um, in alarm state, they can't stand you to touch them. They can't stand you to get within. It must feel like an electric fence to them or something. They can't stand even for you to be in their aura. Um, Martina Neerhart from Switzerland, who's a veterinarian that works with fascia. One of the things she was saying is that proprioception gets hijacked and becomes nociception, becomes pain receptors. And I'm sure that that's, you know, when you have that horse where the fascia has become a pain receptor instead of a proprioceptor, that would make sense to me that their whole system's an alarm because they're experiencing discomfort or pain everywhere instead of where am I in space? And you want to, if, if my fascia is tight, I don't want anybody to touch me because what it does is just start to trigger everything. And before I was kind of existing, I didn't care. I was okay. But bring awareness to it. My word, don't do that. I'm in pain actually. So we often think very carefully about horses that, for instance, might be in a camp situation or a lesson horse situation. How much do you help them before it's not helpful? Fair. Yeah. So there's a whole thought around that. You really have to be aware every second about everything that you can be. And that's a difficult thing for people today, too, is to be consciously aware without being tense and flitty and, you know, whatever. Yeah. And that's always a question, um, you know, with uh, my day job, you know, with teaching riding, if I had a school horse and I knew the school horse, uh, in fact, it happened when I was in Italy once and we had this school horse who was very depressed and rather shut down. And during the clinic, because it was an instructor course for riding, the horse got better and better and she woke up. But the problem was she was going to have to go right back into the old environment and there was nothing we could do about it. And I, I really thought about that a lot. How fair is that to come in and show them that there's something different, but then say, oh, I'm going to take it away and you'll never see it again. Um, you know, it's so, yes. I well, totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that actually has become a thrust for our course. Um, one of our instructors is, she said, that's, it's just not fair. I can't go do body work on a horse and then have it, you know, regress. However, having said that, the horse is going to be able to be aware in a different way if it has body work or the sure foot pads or whatever. And then other things need to be addressed. But I don't agree with withdrawing things from them because it's going to go back to the old way. We've got to figure out some other thing to do. And that horse that you were working with, got a taste of how it could be mm -hmm. and boy you believe they can manifest where they need to be yeah yeah it's, it's something Whole that other topic always yeah always look at on a case-by-case -case basis it's really hard to generalize because you don't know all the circumstances and you also don't know that if you make that change whether or not everyone around that horse is going to see that change and move it forward so exactly. Or do they just see all of a sudden that quiet horse that was really good with the five-year-old children, all of a sudden, it has no job. Well, then where does it go? Yes. Yeah. So, 
that brings up a lot of lot of questions that we could spend our entire webinar on. But I want to get going oh, yeah. and get to the okay. videos and then and move from there. So I'm going to do my screen share here. And oh, wait a second, hang on before I I have to go find. It's not that. No, it's over here. Hang on. Uh, share screen, and I'm just going to bring this up and. Go over this video. Okay, just Cheryl, tell me if you're seeing your your intro video on the screen. Um, if you, uh, it's probably not starting right at the beginning, but when you started, it might. You know how it shows a picture okay. and then it starts over. It's got this lovely. You, thing. Go. you see? Okay, great. So go. I'm just going to play this little video. Provided me with balance in my life, so I want to provide them with balance in their life. Equable as bodywork is incredibly powerful, yet incredibly gentle. We are influencing the nervous system through creating a piezoelectric charge in muscle fibers. We send it through the nervous system in a really, really gentle way, and it allows the body to find balance in itself. I've seen what it's done for my mare, and it is night and day. It changed her posture, changed her attitude, changed everything. It's amazing to watch and now actually be part of it and be able to help my own horse. It is beneficial for the pleasure horse to the high-end athlete and being able to bring some synergy to the body. This 100 Foundations course is the entry level if you're looking to become an equitable practitioner or you're looking to provide equitable for your own horses. Yep, and then put your body closer to him so it's easier on your body. There you go. Look at the response you're getting. Relax your fingertips and breathe. The actual techniques that they learn this weekend are the foundation of the work we'll do. So when I start with a new client course, the first thing I'm going to do is exactly what the students learn in this uh, 100 foundation course. I love it here. Um, all the instructors are amazing. I've gotten the chance to work with everyone. And over the past three days, I've learned so much. The very first day is a lot of theory about what is Equibo, how did it come to be. The second day is a lot more hands-on, as is the afternoon of the first day, where we're teaching the protocol, we're practicing the moves. The day three piece is all about bringing it together. The instructors are all very hands-on, uh, they're very supportive, they're non-judgmental, which is really great when you come in not knowing too much about anatomy to start with. I think a lot of time and effort has been put into laying out this course so that it is very easy to understand and follow along with. Everything is laid out step-by-step step for you, so when you walk away, you don't have to worry about forgetting things. The flow has been great, having classroom time and then uh, coming out to work on the horses. The most fantastic thing is our horses are our best teachers, and once the students get their hands on the horse, practice the moves, and the horses start reacting, and they see that for themselves, you watch everything align. Just as calming as it is for the animals, it is for you too, and it, it makes you feel more balanced. You do a touch, and then kind of step back, or a series of touches, and step back, and just watch the reaction and sort of the transformation that they can go through. We're new at this, and you see the horses responding so well. Um, I'm just so excited to see, you know, after years of experience, what that's going to turn into. As you experience different things, working with different clients, and build your knowledge base, and as you keep going through the program, that's what you decide to do, all these tools will start to come in your toolbox. This course was run perfectly for me. I had so much fun. I have learned so much. Like, this is great. If you have a horse, 
love a horse, know a horse, ride a horse, it's for you. Even if you only come to foundation course to broaden your knowledge and get that new understanding of your horse, it's for you. So Cheryl, that, that's just no, a- how exciting, how exciting is it to have a group like that? Yeah, it's a lovely overview. And for me, it was really fun because I got to recognize people that I've seen, right? I met Lisa Beyer and um, Angela and that sort of thing. But um, tell us how you came about. I got, oh I got a sound going on back here. Um, how did you create, what is Equibo? What, how would you define it? Well, you can define it a lot of different ways. Um, it's light touch, so it is hands-on. People want to know that. Like, they'll see um, maybe the students doing movements in the air. What they were doing was active listening and mirroring what the, uh, the um, instructor was doing. But it is a hands-on modality, and uh, it, it creates a neuromuscular repatterning, and it really addresses the, um, the fascial system, sending... Uh, signals to the nervous system. So is it is it the Bowen technique for people that you've adapted to horses? To some degree. Um, Bowen Canada asked us, could we do that? And I said, well, we probably can, but you know. Um, so some of it is based on Bo a Bowen move, but as soon as we started to kind of shift it over, and it's the very first thing I ever learned from humans. I never learned anything before modality wise other than from the horses so i did learn a human bowen technique and i thought okay because i had asked i was doing cranial on some really difficult horses and the last two that made me really think about it were two horses that were struck by lightning they lived but they were scrambled like totally scrambled and i was gonna get hurt and I thought, I need another way to address this other than cranio, which to me was hands-on the whole time. Very light, but still you're, you're there. And that week, <laughs> it always happens when you ask, that week, one of my uh, horse clients called and said, my horse and I fell. Can you come and work on my horse? So I did. And I said, well, how are you? And she said, oh, she said, I'm, I'm going to go for bowling this afternoon. And I said, what? What's that? So I went to meet and met uh, Manon Boulanger, who'd done Bowen in Canada longer than anybody, and has Bowen College in uh, BC. And I had her work on me, and I thought, oh, my body was used to cranio, and it was unwinding and carrying on. I scared her, actually, because she never saw anybody kind of react that way. But I thought, whoa, if she's touching me, and it's doing that, this is working. And if I can touch a horse and get out of the way and not get killed, that would be a real plus. So I signed up for taking um, the human bone courses. And the first, um, Jonathan DeMonte was her instructor. And, and uh, the second class I came back to, he said, well, I finally figured out what you're doing. I said, what, what, what? He said, you're taking everything I'm telling you and you're running it back through horse anatomy and horses and coming back and then, and I said, oh yeah. <laughs> so anyway, we did start to develop it. 
And uh, we did find that it, you just couldn't flip it back and forth. There was no way. And we worked, yes, intuitively with the horses, but we also had animal communicators coming in and we had um, holistic veterinarians as part of it. We also had um, regular veterinarians. We had a lot of input on and a lot of discussion about, is this necessary? Is this the best? You know, and every time I'd have a question, there's one move we make on the side of the neck and it's very a nothing move, you would think. So I was starting to think, well, maybe we don't need that for horses because we need to keep it simple. Well, the very next pony I touched there went into full pendiculation, lifting up and stretching up and then stretched out and looked like a ballet dancer. And I thought, okay, yes, keep that one. So that was kind of the process. How long did it take you to, uh, to develop it from the beginning with the Bowen technique and humans to what you would think of as a solid teachable program? Oh, 16 years. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. It's developing. It's developing all the time. So, yeah. yes, we, we developed it and then ran it through a class of 12 from every variety background there was, including veterinary and all the way down, you know, just everybody. And um, to see how that was coming across because knowing something and getting it across to someone else is is different and everybody learns differently so over the years we've just honed it and gotten better and better and better at crossing over the a wide variety of people who are coming to learn it and we're constantly changing it and we're we're updating now like we need to get part of this online yeah anything we don't need to on for we need to have online so people can study and more people can be reached and so on so that's my fault because you know how technically illiterate I am <laughs> <laughs> well that's one of the reasons we're doing this webinar is just to get you on camera right and get some information so if, all right so now I'm going to ask you the, the the elevator question if you were in an elevator with someone and you had one minute to tell them what echo how would you describe it so, so for people that have never heard about it and, and maybe heard about fashion, maybe heard a little bit about massage, how would you define Equibo? Well, it can be very simple and you can say it's a hands-on neuromuscular repatterning technique. There you go. So it's changing muscles and fascia and everything, all the soft tissue is repatterning it. That's a simple one. And, um, you know, vets seem to like that one too. You know, it, it, no, it resonates with some I'm still people. working on my elevator speech for Surefoot. I haven't quite nailed it yet. <laughs> so I could say it's a light touch, hands-on neuromuscular repatterning technique. It allows soft tissue, muscles, fascia, et cetera, to return to balance, optimizing performance, behavior, and soundness. Oh, awesome. Great. It really is miraculous. I mean... It really is. We think, boy, the horses really use that tool well. So, so tonight we, we talked initially and we wanted to talk about laminitis. So um, what I thought we'd do is I'll put up your PowerPoint presentation. And we'll, um, we've actually used up a lot of time already, but we'll cruise through that. Maybe just kind of lightly go through your PowerPoint because I really wanted to talk to you about some of the ideas about laminitis that you told me about the other day. And I think that would be really important. Is that okay with you? Yeah. Great. All right. So I'm going to share talk. my screen to get to your PowerPoint. Uh, let's see, slideshow. 
them from start. So we saw that one. All right, so that's Equibo. And so this is hand. Yep. Very light touch. So you can just keep going. Yep, hang on, I gotta get my pointer back. And our real forte is our in-depth hands-on program. Uh, there's only so many things you can do online. Right. And I'm sure that you've talked to your students about um, the integrity model, because when you think of how horses shift, I mean, we watch them on the equiboat or the uh, surefoot pads and think of those two, uh, the lowest two places on that tensegrity model standing on surefoot pads. Well, all of that whole model is going to move back and forth. And we know that poor posture simply means your tensegrity model isn't balanced. And there's lots of ways to help with that. But I, I always think that when that poor posture causes physical stress, it immediately causes emotional stress because the horses don't feel safe. Horses have to feel safe where their feet are. How many horses are upset when they're in a trailer and it's moving or something like that? A horse that falls down is traumatized because he's prey then. He's going to be dead. That's hardwired into him. Yeah. So, okay. And it's great because the tensegrity um, was also touched on by Rachel Bellini in her webinar and Martina Neardhart. So for folks that want to hear more about tensegrity, go and watch those uh, yeah, webinars. Uh, and yeah, I think you're right about Surefoot in that it is, um, it's influencing that because it takes away the rigidness that the foot's on. And, and you know, in a way you could almost think of it shifting from the sticks in the tensegrity model to the rubber bands in the model and suddenly yeah. that shifting. Yeah, because those rubber bands get pretty stiff when they're trying to hold those sticks absolutely still because they're going to fall. Right. You know, it's so anything you can do to sort of activate a change is going to just we know from all the price it's just going to take off right so littlest bit sometimes so this um cold top left picture there um it's his first birthday actually and he i was called in because his legs were get were crooked so I was to come in and help with balancing his feet well it didn't take any time yes they're definitely crooked and um, the outside of his knee was growing faster than the inside, and the left front was starting to club, and it was quite serious. Um, he looked knock-kneed, he looked base-wide, very, very tight in the chest, but it looked really like somebody had grabbed his shirt front. So if everybody who's watching, grab your shirt front and gather up that material. Now, if you were this horse standing there, you'd be narrow in the chest, your legs would have to go out, He's growing, so he's going to grow crookedly in his joints. I'm 20 minutes on my shirt now. I'm getting rid of the wrinkles that I just put in. <laughs> so, and this and, is the same horse 20 minutes later. Yes. Now, in the top picture, he doesn't look like a yearling. To me, he looks like a weanling. Kind of a yearling behind a weanling in front. Right. But instantly, I had one of my practitioners with me. Thank goodness. Or I would never have had this picture. She's standing behind me going, stand back here and look at the changes in him. Now, this woman had bred this horse for a dressage horse, and she was kind of upset about everything going on, and she was particularly upset about his neck, et cetera, et cetera. Now his front legs are growing crooked, so she's having a fit. So he changed this much in that bottom picture. His legs released, the root of his neck softened. He couldn't lift the root of his neck. It was jammed down. 
Um, his neck looked longer. His withers were different. His the tightness in his thoracic spine, and really the hindquarters didn't look as bad when we looked at them to begin with because everything else was so awful. But look how much change there was there as well. And I never went back. Wow. And he looks just like he grew a year in twenty minutes, like literally leveled out in front. Yeah, everything changed. So that nervous system is our biggest asset, and we don't give it enough credit. And think how the fascia changed and rehydrated in this. Like, it's amazing. Wow. That, yeah, that's a brilliant. I'm so glad you got those pictures. All right, we're going to move on. Oh, oops, sorry. Wrong. There we go. I'm just going to move this out of the way a little bit. So this is a little work that my teaching partner bought somewhere for 300 bucks and she brought it home and I said do not touch that horse you have to wait until class don't you touch it and of course she's having a fit the feet were awful and the it had cowhawks and it was looked like it had worms and I mean it was just awful Ian Miller looked at these pictures at one of the um, places we were and he said that's not the same horse and Simone says not only is it the same horse it's the same day <laughs> but think about fascia if the fascia, you look at that left picture and the coat is staring, well, think of tight fascia into the skin. It's going to stand the hair up. Look at the right-hand picture and then it, the hair is going to lay down. It's rehydrated. It so looks like it. I have a question for you. How important is it to have water right in front of that horse while you're working? Because if that fascia is rehydrated, you're going to need moisture. You're going to need, because Robin Hood has started doing something interesting. I don't know how long she's been doing it, to be honest. But like working with dogs, she'll offer dogs water during the tea, the tea touch session. And when we were working with some horses at her place last summer, she offered them water during the session. I'm just wondering, looking at these pictures, I would think that might be really important because of what the changes are. You know, when we have fascial sessions, they always tell us, drink a lot of water, flush out the toxins. Absolutely. Uh, but the horse did not drink 50 gallons of water. No, no. It's just, yeah. The moisture was redispersed. Wow. Yeah, somebody in the comments just went, wow, and I agree. That is a wow. <laughs> now think of the internal organs. And you have gut motility or not. You have all kinds of things going on. We don't even see what's happening inside. Right. I've had um, a number of um, people, and we have a number of vets who are practitioners as well as vet techs and so on. And uh, the one girl uh, had a colicky horse, and she said, I got far more results with the colic than I ever would have traditionally. She's still called the vet, of course. But in the meantime, all of this is happening and there's <laughs> there's joanne rafuse i see her she was there that day too she's yeah. a veterinarian <laughs> your clinic yeah. with um buck yeah no i remember buck yeah oh that mm -hmm. was her class so she was actually there with this horse wow this yeah. is, years ago. but again thank goodness somebody took a picture because we were astonished at the difference and unless you have them now this horse looked like it had two cowpox and when we actually assessed it afterwards, it had a slight deviation in one. Wow. So how is this going to help the breeder who wants to show their horses on the line and stuff like that? I mean, it, it's huge. It is huge. Okay, we're going to move on. And this is another one. Simone worked on this one. And um, she uh, had done only the hind end moves. That was it. 
Okay, and in 15 minutes, we went from go down a rock to four square. And look at the change in the shoulder and the neck. Yeah. The belly. Yeah. The belly's twice as long. All right, like everything was cramped in this horse. Look at the croup. I mean, it's, it's really cool. Wow, okay. I've, uh, had, I've had hooves change. That's me. This is my, my group. <laughs> it is. Look at that. That's awesome. They had a really good time. That was a fun weekend. Was uh, there's, weekend. There, was, there weren't a lot of pictures being taken that I got a hold of, but that was Faison, who actually knew Wendy was coming and wondered what took her so long. <laughs> uh, and the first thing he did was stand on the hard wedge. And we'll talk a little later about laminitic um, momentum and energetic momentum in the way the hoof wants to grow. But we have found like if you were on, let's say you dislocated your shoulder as a child and it, it went back in and it was okay, but you always had this ache in your shoulder. It always bothered you and you're like 23 or four and some cranial therapist comes along and unwinds your shoulder. Basically just taking gravity out. And that shoulder will unwind and go back and it'll go almost to the point of dislocation again. Let that energy out of whatever is trapped in there. It could be emotional too, emotional energy as well. And then that resolves and the shoulder goes back. You could no more put it back there than fly to the moon. Right. But it's Now, his foot is trying to go AWOL, the hoof capsule, right? Because it wants to have that laminatic look. And the first thing he did was elevate his toes to take the rest of that energy that wants to morph the hoof capsule, which we don't allow, to leave. And it, it was fascinating that that's how he finished off that injury, if you will. Right. Very cool. And he knew what he wanted to do. Yeah. And, and he's also a horse that has... Uh, he knows he has autonomy and can tell you what he wants. And so those horses are great because they they very quickly start to say, this is what I want. Yeah, they recognize it. Yeah. Um, somebody got a little video of him flipping the hind ones, oh, standing yeah. on one, flipping it over and standing on it the other. So, yeah, we had a great time. We went to the, the conference and... Um, yeah, that was the 12th at the ISES meeting, which I yeah. always have to spell it out because otherwise it sounds like ISIS in America and then everybody gets I it. <laughs> and I never can remember it, so. Yeah. So what, we've, what we really find, too, um, it's shown, the one reason we went to the ISIS conference was that they are always looking for a way to get their idea across. And it's difficult. They, they don't necessarily connect right away with the people they want to connect with. And what we've discovered is that Echobo is a bridge to what they want to do. And um, it's, a <clears throat> uses, it's between using our intellect and our intuition and connection to the horse. And so trying to keep myself on track here. With the International Society for Equitation Science, it's a group of largely scientists and um, university people, but also um, people outside that sphere, but people are, who are looking into researching solutions to animal welfare and how horses learn and, you know, um, putting some science behind it so we have data. And that's... 
Yeah, their aim is to enhance horse welfare and improve horse rider relationships. And they weren't finding that that was a necessarily easy, there wasn't really a practical way in many cases to get people over the hump. Right, so, it's uh, almost like you have sort of the intellect and the applied and there was not a good bridge between and what ISDS is trying to do is be that bridge between the intellect that's looking into the research and coming up with best practices and really putting some data behind it. And then those people in the field who are either um, just horse owners or professionals to, to give them that information so that they can actually use it in the field and improve the way we interact and train horses and treat them. Developing awareness and skill at observation is key too. That, and I know that you're working on that with your students too. Yep. And not only does Equibo and Surefoot change the nervous system, but it changes us by bringing a new level of skill to our awareness and therefore effectiveness in dealing with horses. Changes the horse behavior, but it changes our behavior. And we need to change our horse behavior because horses are really paying attention to us. Yeah. And the reason that these ladies are there, I have a lovely team of people with veteran, holistic veterinarians and my holistic barrier um, chiropractors and so on. And um, we do everything from homeopathy, holistic diagnostics, x-rays, medications, like all gamuts, all the way across. We use any tool. And um, you can do it again. You know, Daisy Bicking, we, uh, last night was my guest. And one of the things we talk about is it, it's a team. It's not an individual effort. It's a team to look at all the different aspects to make sure that we are optimizing everything that we can. Yes, and it's also a safe team. It has to be a safe dialogue. And I see a lot of stuff on Facebook and so on right now where people are attacking people. They aren't disagreeing about a fact or an issue. They're attacking the person with no thought at all. Well, you can't do that and work in a research situation. But this is my favorite. He's been around for a long time, much longer than it looks like. And he's absolutely brilliant and uh, so totally tuned into the horses that it's a joy to watch him. Like it's just, he's just mind melded with them. It, it's tremendous. It's not bad looking either, Cheryl. <laughs> this is true. It's not hard to take it all. Yeah, yeah. Joanne's farrier too, by the way. <laughs> and then there's one of my practitioners working on my horse because that's also necessary. You, you need to have, as Wendy said, you need to have other people working on your horse too. So, and we're always in, this is Dr. Robert Eustis. Um, <laughs> Joanne's getting cheeky there on those comments, isn't she? I'll, I'll um, <laughs> up right now, I'll just pop it back down. Oh yeah. <laughs> so what happens when you have friends on the webinar. <laughs> Conscious awareness, again, is a key to recognize the tiniest suggestion of a laminitic episode. And what might you see? Um, a lot of people ask that. Well, and I have asked clients, what was the very first thing you saw? And they weren't aware of it at all. One lady called me two days later and said, I just figured out the first time my horse said his feet hurt. And it was when he hesitated when I asked him to walk out of the wash stall. Mm. My friend so, in Michigan. Say again who Dr. Eustace is because it, it just blipped. I didn't get it. Pardon? Who is Dr. Robert Eustis? Dr. Robert Eustis is um, started and was the head of the Laminitis Clinic in Bristol in England. And we worked with him and he taught us a lot. And Dr. Janet Ely as well. And um, 
I always remind people about him because he's just fantastic. He wrote a book, a, a small little book. I have it somewhere right there. Um, about laminitis and because he gave up trying to talk to the fairies and the vets about it. So he wrote this little book, sold out the first printing, printed it again three months later, sold out the next printing, and all of a sudden, people in England had the book in their hand going, well, why don't you know how to take a proper x-ray of a horse with laminitis? Well, why don't you know how to fall back the foot? Well, why don't you know this and that? And the vets and fairies started to pay attention. So, so we um, train. Afterwards, Cheryl, send me an email with the title of the book, and I'll put it in the uh, description of the okay. webinar so that people can find it. Oh, you can get it online. Yes, but he's put the connection. No, but he's put the connection up, so you don't have to buy the book anymore. Oh, you can just get the get the. Okay. Yeah. We'll find it. We'll put up that link. That's awesome. Right. So one of my friends from, um, now you may or may not want to go through the first aid that we do. There's just a number of little slides there. You can flip by them if you want, because I think we're yeah. close on time. time I think we will. The first time that she... Uh, home insulation to make a support for the foot. Yeah. And you'd never want pressure on the sole. Nothing ahead of the point of the frog. And then tape it on with Gorilla Tape or whatever. And... If you get that on instantly, the bones aren't going to move in the leg. And it gives you time to work on it. And then you're working on the horse constantly. So there were days when James came every three days and filed back that laminitic energetic momentum from the front, like toe flare, even in three days, even with the shoes on. And, you know, and it's, it's ongoing. So. So tell us about so we, um, your horse's... What, what was his, the laminitic process that he went through from the beginning? Well, we he was standing in the field and not coming over when I went out. And I thought, okay, there's something going on. And his feet were warm at that point, and he was sore. And I think he had a really severe laminitic attack. He has never rotated because I wouldn't let the bones rotate. but he's he definitely has severe damage um how long and, ago was this pardon how oh a couple years couple years and um he's he's sound walker wrote him on sunday um and my holistic vet checked him out and he had liver toxins and that's what flipped things over a horse's systems are so you know, you think of a mare in foal and she might get laminitis and you think about all kinds of things and the horse might get laminitis. It just seems to go to their feet. Right. So anyway, it, uh, so it was basically a liver toxin, toxin that caused it. it. It was liver toxin. Yeah. And it wasn't grass oddly. So that was interesting too. So that's why I depend on my holistic death. I couldn't do without them. Yeah. Otherwise it just, well, Daisy Bicking last night, she talked about different causes of laminitis and toxicity being one of them. Um, and she actually showed a picture of a mare who had a retained placenta who rotated in all four feet. Um, and so, yeah, there's different causes of laminitis. But in the end, what's happening in the feet is um, uh, Dr. Joyce Harmon calls it a heart attack like a person, only yeah. they have it in their feet. They have a heart attack, basically, in their feet. Yeah. 
and there could be all kinds of reasons for it like a heart attack so we just keep you know keep on keeping on and you can see on the bottom left picture there where we filed away all of the laminitic energetic momentum that wants to do weird things we all know how what a uh, laminitic hoof wants to grow like so define we just don't laminitic let it happen. momentum you've mentioned that term a couple of times what, what how would you define yeah. that one of, okay one of our practitioners has a, a 22 or 23 years of experience in energetic work as well as other healing modalities and she also has a good grasp of some vocabulary so she talks about energetic momentum period okay in general things have energetic momentum so the growth of the foot in the lamini has an energetic momentum to grow a foot normally grows right mm -hmm. So there's an energetic momentum involved in the growth of an animal or a horse or whatever, lots of it. So in this case, we just applied that term to laminitis. And so, it, it, instead of saying, the heel wants to grow taller in the foot, you know, instead of that, we just call it ener uh, laminitic energetic momentum. Heather Russ like, coined that. Me of Newton's, I think it's his second law, a body in motion stays in motion. In other words... That's once the laminate, laminitic event happens and the foot starts to change, it does change into a laminitic foot, it maintains yeah. the, the direction of a laminitic foot unless interceded, unless there's something that redirects the course. Is that, what, is yeah. that a good way to define it? Thank you. You send me that and I'll send you the other. The other. <laughs> That's exactly right. Um, we don't let that energetic momentum continue because if we do and what we found over the years is maybe you change that every four weeks that's not enough i had a pony that taught me if i went out and filed the tiniest bit off every day that changed the entire process of when that pony was going to be healed from the laminitis and his soul went up and everything he was perfectly normal after that not immediately but he was normal um so it's it's vital to stay on top of that so Yes, Faison has shoes on, but it doesn't matter. I can put his foot on the stand and file off the energetic momentum every day anyway because it's growing right out over the shoe. And then every every three weeks, his front feet are be done. Yes, so, and I think that's one of the things that people need to realize is that these feet need to be attended to on a much more frequent basis if we're going to get ahead of it. Right? Well, every three days, James was there. I mean, you don't get barriers that do that necessarily no. all right next slide yeah. yeah so the other thing we did was support with kinesiology tape um, really critical to support fetlocks and I found really critical to support them all the way around the hind fetlocks because the horse is leaning back and he's going to strain something so you can flip it again and we use this as part of our first aid protocol now so if you look at the horse he has um, his support, his uh, support underneath his frogs, and he has his um, his kinesiology tape. And so, <laughs> and that change, it might change every day. Um, I can. I'm gesturing at the screen, but it isn't working. <laughs> no, it's not. 
but he had some, you know, these are support tapings. So you can see the hamstrings, everybody will know where they are. Yep. So the hamstrings. I can take the pointer and draw for you. So here's the hamstrings. <laughs> um, so those hamstrings were becoming overworked because he's trying to sit on his hind end, right? So that is a support taping for the muscles there. And then we have a glute taping, which is supporting that. But the tensor fascia lata is a very tenuous muscle edge. When our students are trying to find it, they're going, oh, this is wishy-washy. You know, that tensor fascia lata that day was the size and feel of an iron bar in a skull. Wow. I've never seen anything like it in my life. So I taped it as a support taping, and the next day it was back to normal. So every day I would assess where does he need to be taped, and we did support taping. And that, that's ongoing. So we have All a, of this. a question from somebody or a statement. It said, I put my hands on a mate's front hooves Monday night, and they were on fire. Her hind feet were cool. She is obviously overweight to me. Should I send that guardian... Should I send that guardian to the vet immediately? I think that's a miss, a, a typo. The horse was not my client, but she is having me work on another and asked what the bruising was on the mare's white feet. I did give guidance on getting her off grass. It is so difficult when, uh, and I don't know, Diane, if you're, uh, Den, uh, if you're a professional, it's really difficult to advise people when it's not your horse and you're not part of their team and they, you know, so... You've really, um, I don't know if you have any input on that, Cheryl, in terms of how you help someone else's horse who you recognize. Yeah, we teach laminitis first aid. Everybody that's in the course does it. We also run extra courses to talk to people about it. It's the first thing. Your horse is the least bit sore or you think it is. You put that first aid on, you're going to keep the bones in line while you figure out other stuff. A first aid type idea might be more accepted but you do have to be careful you really do and maybe the person's ready you could suggest things we we go into a lot of dialoguing with uh, professionals and with clients how do you say things because if the person doesn't let you do it or doesn't want you to do it the horse isn't going to be helped either right. so there are ways to approach that and the first aid might be a way that she could but it sounds like she's right it I would yeah. be really concerned. And that's again, you know, the minute that and Daisy was saying this too, is the minute they are uncomfortable, they are acute and they are in trouble. And they may have had pre, you know, stuff going on before, but you know, yeah. Um, and, it just, and, the thing, and the first sign of acute laminitis is cold. We never see that. So we're never catching them when they're you know, we're after the fact most of the time. My friend in Michigan was um in her office working and her horse is out in the field and she would glance up from time to time and she noticed that he was slowly moving backwards across the field, like really minutely and slowly. And she figured out that was him instead of taking the weight off the front and going into the laminitic stance that we're used to seeing, that was his way of showing his laminitis was starting. I thought, wasn't that cool? Yeah, she did give guidance to get the horse off grass. Right. And, uh, and her team, as of Monday, first aid is off the, yeah, uh, I mean, you got to get them off the thing that's causing the problem. Go watch Daisy Bicking's um, webinar from yesterday, too. She had a lot of great things to say about that. Um, 
And I think what we're going to do, that's an acute case, but we're, we want to continue on with Faison and looking at where you've gone with him. So here's more taping. And is there anything, is this the same day, Cheryl, or another day? That was the other side of him. <clears throat> you can see it is different on both sides. And then some of that tape, it wasn't useful anymore. You'd take it off, you'd put it in different places and so on. All of our practitioners pretty well are um, trained in kinesiology taping too, because again, it's a very um, compatible modality, like the surefoot pads are. Yep. Oops. Got to get in the right place to make it go forward. So now when I look at him, like this is a while ago, but I look at him as a horse who has bad posture, using himself incorrectly, his belly's hanging back is tight and so on, because he's gone through all of these things and he's developed poor posture now. So now he starts back into work very, very specifically, most of the time body wrap, 99% of the time I will body wrap a horse that I'm working and put rattles on their hind feet. And just so if you're wondering, let me just tell them what body wraps are. Um, Robin Hood, Linda Tellington Jones' sister, has uh, written a book on body wrapping horses, actually dogs and people, um, and it's using ace bandages. So they're not excessively tight, and that's different from some other systems that are designed to activate muscles. This is more proprioceptive and awareness in space. The bandages are not tight, um, but there's a whole variety of wraps. But it's, it's dynamite. Again, it's that Feldenkrais thing that works instantly. It's absolutely essential. Yep. So we teach all this too. So keep going. Yep. So it's proprioceptive rehab. Yeah. And here's an idea. And this is, uh, I would assume these are ace bandages that are fairly loose. Yeah, the app Robin uh, dyed them herself. Yes. So in this case, um, he had been working with body wrap in different places because I do different things to bring awareness to different things. And this time I put the saddle on him with the, with the bandages. And you can see by his front feet that he's due to be filed back. Yeah. You see that, that toe flare? And that's probably two weeks into having been done. That's how much it changes. Wow. So, but he, if he flipped back a little bit, you can see that his whole posture has changed. Oh yeah, big change. Even although he's looking out, it's still, this is more what you want to see, is that relaxed, yep. back up a little bit, and so on. And that's what the bandages will do instantly, just like the surfboard does. So we love it. The, the cover of the all wrapped up body wrap. And so this is one of the things is you can combine kinesio tape with surefoot with body wraps. That yes. All of these things are compatible. I would suggest that you do each one individually first so that the horse is familiar with it and yeah. Yeah. that individual thing before you start putting them all together because you can overload the nervous system. Um, but you can. Great We're really paying then the horse won't want you to do it all at the same time. <clears throat> now, <laughs> I've worked with laminated courses for a long time and the one thing that I have found is that there is almost always a lung relation so I've seen things uh, just a, a pony with caught a lung flare he stuck it he had a, an episode where the one foot flared up 
and I brought him in and the back part of his rib cage was stuck way out like wings. And when I put the first aid on his foot and gave him a couple of minutes, those ribs went down. Now, Faison, watching him walk, I'm always looking for pain faces, right? So I'm seeing him a while ago with nostril flare. And I'm thinking, hmm, maybe his feet hurt. Like, that's kind of a pain face. Kind of a little, you know, screwed up. I missed the fact that it was a lung issue. And he developed COPD. So you in double breathing, wheezing the whole bit. Now, with his homeopathics, he's coming back from that. But there have been times we've had to use steroids for him. So there is no one answer to this. Is there, um, I mean, I, I am, okay, so this is where we, I would want an acupuncturist, but I'm just wondering uh, if there are, the, the lung meridian, if, what is the relationship between laminitis and that, that meridian, right? Well, we need to look at that. Joanne's an acupuncturist, ask her. <laughs> she's on still on the chat and she can pipe up here it's uh we'll see we'll leave that question open for joanne and, and later on we'll i'll see if i can solve that with another guest if not with joanne tonight okay so you've what, seen connection what, between lungs and laminitis and absolutely if you have laminitis watch for a lung issue like a hawk because i knew it and missed it now here he is double breathing you can't see it he's wheezing out of his nose but He's also stretching his neck out. So if you look in his throat area there, yeah. um, it's almost like he's got it full of phlegm or something. And he doesn't particularly. So I'm not sure what that is. Um, let's go to the next one. I don't know if there's another one there. No, maybe there's not another one. Nope, there's not another one. So we were talking about... Um, when I put him on the surefoot pads. Right. So, so his, the laminitis first occurred, I think you said two years ago, and you were doing your equibo, your kinesio tape, your body wraps, and your foot trims and your first aid. And then I show up with surefoot pads. Right. The first thing Faison did was, oh, yay, now I can get rid of that laminitic energetic momentum. And he did that. And um, weeks later, like, you know, not immediately, but um, I put him on the shirt foot pads on the front. And I'm thinking they were the purple ones. Because we started out with the hard ones, but he wanted actually the soft ones. So I think they were the purple ones. He had them on both front feet. And he's standing there quietly. And then all of a sudden he starts to cough. And I mean, cough a lung out. And over the next couple of hours, then he's in his stall, coughing and coughing and coughing, and there's mucus coming out. And, of course, I'm all excited because, oh, good, something's changing. You know, this is good. Get that stuff out of his lungs. He did eventually actually cough something out, and I don't know what that was. It wasn't hay or anything. It looked like he coughed out mucus, and how could he actually do that out of his mouth? Another idea. Um, so anyway, I took him He didn't get back on them for maybe another month. No, it wasn't. It was much closer than that. It was two weeks. And being human, 
little bits good, a lot's better, right? So I put him on four of them. And I threw him into a full-blown COPD attack because it was too much and I wasn't listening to him enough. He didn't get off them, but I also didn't ask, did he want them? Right. So at that point, I said to somebody, boy, Wendy's really got something here. Does anybody know how powerful this is? Now, most people don't understand how powerful Feldenkrais is, period. Right. This is really powerful. So one of the biggest things everybody has to learn is ask your horse. Um, so and what he's doing. Corollary to that, if I can interject, Cheryl, is that, you know, people, oh, uh, somebody the other day said, oh, he was on the pads for a short time, seven to 10 minutes. And I was like, oh. that's not short. <laughs> that's really long. Um, oh, yeah. So it's, yeah, it's hard to get people to realize that, you know, my first experiment was 15 seconds. I timed yeah. it for 15 seconds. And so, you know, we tend to not even notice, like we could like not pay attention to how long they're on because we're seeing changes, but we're not necessarily, the horse doesn't necessarily know that tomorrow or even later on that day, that that's gonna be too much. It's like us going no. out, thinking, you know, we've been locked up in our houses and now we're gonna go run a marathon and it's like, yeah. oh, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. That, that's really true. Uh, something flitted in and right out of my head. I forget what that was. Oh, I remember the one day he wanted to stand on one pad. And what he's doing now is choosing pads or not for when he has his front feet reset. So the last while he has been wanting one of his feet, he always chooses which one to start with, wants to shoe off, puts that bare foot on a pad that he chooses and stands on it while James takes the other shoe off. Mm. And then he wants to stand on a pad under that foot while he puts the shoe on the other foot. And then he wanted to put the pad under the shod foot. Like it was back and forth, he was doing this. Now, oh, and the, that one day when he put his foot, the shod foot back on the left foot, put it back on the pad, and the right foot was being shod. When that shod foot, was, he asked for a pad, he put the tiniest back um, lateral edge of his shoe on the tiniest bit of a slant, like the, the slant pad, but the tiniest little end. Yeah. And he stood there for five minutes on that tiny, tiny thing. Yeah, no. and so at that point, you know, five minutes, you're on a very thin, you're just on the leading edge of the slant pad. And it was just the tiniest bit of the back of his shoe. Yeah. So whatever that was doing, I mean, think of how the hoof tubules change and shift and everything in the foot. And we were talking about Dr. Broker's work with the, the little, um, what do you call them, micro, whatever. What did I call them? Where was I? I had a whole bunch of stuff there. So, um, wait, I had, a, I had a good question there. So, oh yeah, so one of the things, um, Ida Hammer has gone down to Deb, Dr. Deb Taylor's, Dr. Deb uh, is working with Formahoof, and one of the things they did was they had a horse, they trimmed the foot and prepared it, and then they put the foot on the physio pad, and basically, after being on the physio pad, the hairline had changed, meaning that the foot had shifted, 
just from the few minutes of standing on the pad. So the whole idea of offering the pad to Faison during his uh, trim or his reset is so important because it's giving the foot a moment to, to reorganize and to shift into a different place. Yeah, it's really awesome. And we found that when we're um, trimming out high spots, like some hoof tubules in the hoof capsule will be longer than others, and it goes up into the soft tissue. So you've got a high spot on the coronary band. Well, you trim that out below, you follow those hoof tubules down, trim it out below, and put the horse in the stall for a couple of minutes and bring them back, and that those hoof tubules have fallen down. Yeah. I mean, those kinds of things will happen with the surefoot pad too. And I'm really excited about activating the internal structures of the foot because obviously Faison has shoes on. We have to keep his sole off the ground. So he's got soft rim pads and his shoes. So yes, he's out in the dirt and then he gets pressure up in his foot, but it's not like walking on his soles. But I thought, okay, if we've got those cells up there inside that, uh, the internal structures, and they act like stem cells, they could do anything. We have no idea what all they're doing in there. Let's stimulate them. And when I did with the uh, purple pads, a week later, that's when James noticed that the coronary band had changed in a way that it hadn't yet. Wow, that's pretty cool. Going on. So it was almost like it livened it up or it woke it up. And that's what we want to do. We want to wake it up. Yeah. And we saw, you know, I, I see horses with uh, laminitis whose soles will just peel off like a scab eventually when they're ready. Well, when they're ready, it's okay. Um, but his is hard and not changing. So I thought, okay, I've got to get this activated. So yeah, cool. Really cool. Um, so somebody's, um, thank you guys for in the comments there. They've been working out the, uh, there's, Lung 11 is the front ting point on the coronet band because, you know, that just makes sense to me. I know Dr. Ridgway, I actually um, was with Dr. Ridgway with Dr. Um, Harmon and Dr. Ganser and uh, um, another veterinarian from Colorado, and he was teaching them all about needling the ting points. And so it just makes sense to me that there has to be a ting point in association with lungs that is being affected by laminitis. I mean, it just makes sense. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So the, I think one of the big um, important results from both Equibo and Surefoot um, and the wrapping, you know, because they're very compatible. Uh, the tape is, a kinesiology tape is slightly different than the wrapping. People wonder if they're the yeah. same thing. They're not. Nope. Um, but I think both Equibo and Surefoot pads, they get that ventral vagal complex activated. And, and that's really important. People can study about that. Um, we all know that sympathetic nervous system involves mobilization, ideally related to just movement, but it often escalates into fright flight. And, um, and that the parasympathetic nervous system is most primitive and governs rest, digest, but it can escalate into freeze collapse. And you can get stuck in either one. And, um, but a lesser known part of that parasympathetic system is the ventral vagal complex. And it's often thought of as a regulator to soften the action of the freeze collapse overreaction of the parasympathetic. One expert described it as a balancer that helps govern how quickly a body can balance between the two, recover and not get stuck. And that's what we see happening with the horses on Surefoot. And Joanne 
um, just had an example yesterday, I think, when somebody came over to ride and her horse was distracted doing groundwork with the other horses and she put that horse on a pad and she just melted and stopped and got focused. So that's a really, really important thing. It's affecting this nervous system. And um, this is great because my my guest tomorrow is Violet Van Hees. We're going to talk about the vagal system. Oh, perfect. And then next week, one of my guests is Dr. Sybil Mole, and she teaches taping. And so she's going to, she's been using Surefoot. And so she's going to talk about taping and Surefoot. So it perfectly ends. Thank you so much. That's terrific. So at the end, I said, I think the whole Surefoot journey is exciting for many reasons. But one of the main ones in this, I'm really serious about this, is that Wendy persevered, perfected, and got this article, this product to market. Now we can all experiment with it and further research. But thank you for doing that because I know that was a long haul and a lot of hard work. It still is. <laughs> but it's okay. You know, like I just I just launched a new website, surefootequine.com, and um, I've been um, spending, you know, the pan okay, for me, the pandemic is a moment to catch up. I have literally yeah. two months now in my office, about 12 hours a day, if not more. And all I, I haven't caught up yet. So, um, yeah. but you know, that's okay because I, I will get it done. And then it's the websites up, which has been a big help. And these webinars were unplanned in the beginning, but you know, I just, I, I can't thank you enough, Cheryl, for joining us on this webinar and for talking about Equibo and about laminitis because um, the, the, the beauty of, the pandemic. I mean, we have to look at the good in, in all things. And it is so that we can get this information out and make it available to more people. And that's what these webinars have really been all about is, is teaching people like you how to do Zoom so that we could actually hear from you and hear about what you have to say. So I really appreciate you persevering to, to figure out Zoom. And I'm so glad that your granddaughter is stuck with you. <laughs> Because we're do- uh, all up to speed. We had no sound yesterday at all, um, but she was able to get us there, and um, it's great. So, um, Cheryl, we've been at it for a little over an hour now, so I think that we probably filled everybody's brains up for the day. Um, and so, I mean, it, like I said, it's just lovely to talk to you and and hear about not only your journey but the things you're doing and the whole reminder about giving the horse choice and standing back for a moment and listening. Um, I just, I think that that is such an important message for horse people. Well, it really is because people don't do it. Even people who think they're doing it aren't doing it enough or all the time. And I, I don't either, you know, there are days. Yeah. And I find that myself with Surefoot, you know, I mean, when I look at where I was in the beginning and where I am now, and even still it's like, let's, Maybe we have to pause longer, P-A-W-S-P-A-U-S-E, pause for longer and give the system more chance. And that's what Dr. Peters is talking about is that in those moments, not necessarily on pads, and that's the thing, is that the pads are a moment of gathering information, but then coming off the pads, or in your case, when you wait, then we get the serotonin coming in and the dendritic scaffolding. So the horse can make those neural connections between the ideas that are going on and, and um, develop stem cells into neurons, develop dendrites between neurons, make connections, 
change proprioceptors from nociceptors back to proprioceptors. There needs to be this moment where the horse has that pause to allow the system to process. It really is important. It's absolutely necessary, I think. Um, and I, it is absolutely necessary. Yeah, there's, it's not an opinion, it's a fact. Yeah. You know, and, it really is. And with your work too, there's just doing a little tiny bit and then stepping back and waiting and watching and seeing that so little, like that picture of that horse from behind and the other horse, the stance, so incredible. Those were really, really awesome. Yep. The Feldenkrais effect without the effort. Yeah, absolutely. Is Less is more. Well, yeah. thank you, Cheryl, once again. And thank you, everybody, for joining me on this webinar. Um, we do have a special on the MurdochMethod.com uh, shop website where it, um, grazing muzzles, which we didn't touch on, but the importance of limiting grass to those horses that are easy keepers. Um, it's really important because what we want to do is avoid laminitis, not have to deal with the recovery. And so, again, if you go to Daisy Bicking's webinar and Dr. Joyce Harmon's, where they talk about the importance of monitoring and maintaining the environment so that we prevent laminitis in the first place, we've got this offer of a Harmony muzzle with Surefoot pads. Um, in the meantime, you can go to my website, Surefoot, uh, Surefoot Equine, the new one, and um, check out uh, information there. And again, on my YouTube channel, Surefoot Equine. And of course, I always want you guys to, to enjoy these webinars and thank you so much for joining us. And Cheryl, thank you. Um, and tomorrow we have Violet Van Hees and we're gonna talk about the vagal system. So thank you again, everybody. Super. And tomorrow, and Cheryl, this has been such a pleasure. I know that this is not something you, you do easily or frequently. So it's been really great. Everybody who knows that you're really, really something. <laughs> she got me going. Well, you did awesome. This is fabulous, and I really appreciate it. And hopefully we'll get to see each other in person sometime again soon. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Bye, everyone. Bye.